Welcome to Women Disrupting, a podcast amplifying the voice of women who are disrupting the status quo to create a more equitable, united and peaceful world. My guest today is Vivian Porritt. Vivian is currently one of the co-founders and strategic leaders for WomenEd, a global not-for-profit community that supports and empowers aspiring and existing women leaders in education. Vivian has co-authored several books on women in leadership, and in 2022, Vivian was honoured with an OBE, recognising her amazing work in education, in particular, her dedication to women's rights in the sector. I don't think Vivian knows this, but she reinstilled a sense of hope in me. When I reached out to her to propose a potential partnership between women ed and the business I run with my brother, she was nothing short of supportive, really modeling that extended hand to bring other women on board with your own success. She really is an inspiration. And when you've listened to my interview with her, you will understand why. Vivian, welcome. Thank you for being one of my first guests on our podcast. Thank you very much. And I, I love your title. I think it's wonderful. Yes, it's a great title because it, it captures a real current need for what we need at the moment is more and more women disrupting the status quo like you. Briefly just share a bit about your background. Came from a working class northern background. First in my family to go to university. And I loved education. I, I loved learning. Um, and I was a clever girl. So that made me feel valuable in that way. My parents, God bless them, didn't really understand education, didn't really understand I was clever and that I had ambitions to go to university, to do things like that. I, I always remember them trying to help <laughs> by saying, what did you get for your A-levels? <laughs> I said, I got A, B, C. Oh, you only got one A, Vivian, then? I thought you were supposed to be clever. So it was a challenge at home in some ways, exacerbated by the fact that my mum was a paranoid schizophrenic and she was in and out of hospital a lot. And my dad couldn't cope really with, with that. So often every summer we'd go off to a, a distant aunt for the summer, things like that. Mm. Um, we weren't really looked after very well. But what that did give us was a total bond between my sister and I. So she is my best friend. She lives 300 miles away. So it's a challenge. So we talk every single day and going up there for Christmas always. So university was it's like a haven for me in that sense and I loved it I stayed five years doing a master's as well as my PGCE English and drama teacher worked my way up through the ranks as it were to become a, a secondary head teacher and after that I worked at the Institute of Education in London and became a senior leader there in the university what a story what was it then that triggered you to co-found WomenEd? It was very specific, really. I had breast cancer and it was quite a, an aggressive one. 
and that meant with all of the medication cognitively I couldn't read I couldn't watch the television as in I couldn't concentrate enough I couldn't remember the storylines all the way through mm -hmm. but what I found I could do was 144 characters on Twitter as as it was then and so that was my way of connecting with people when I was at home for long periods of time on my own as it were and I started to meet lots of wonderful women and between us we started having a conversation that it didn't seem very conducive for women in education at that time and especially on Twitter because women's voices were being silenced by some of the male then big hitters so on one Sunday we had all of us had a conversation virtually lasting all day until Kezia one of our co-founders said I think we should have a little tea party about this so nine years later, we have a global charity to support women leaders in education. And it's been probably, you know, I've had a wonderful career, but it's been probably the most joyous thing I've mm -hmm. ever been involved in in my entire life. When you were on Twitter and you were starting Women Ed Up, did you actually officially create Women Ed or was it born out of just a conversation that you were having with other women leaders in education on Twitter? Yeah, it was just born out of that conversation yeah. and the ball started rolling a lot. The tea party turned into a, an event, a conference, which we called an unconference. Yes. And through all our conversations, the first time we all met as a group of seven was the night before that first on conference and that because everything else we'd done online and that had taken us from the March to the September and during that period we'd created the Twitter account set out our branding set out our goals and mission and after the unconference, we realized this was a thing. The, the joy of the women there, there were 200 women, the joy of them being in a women only educational event, probably for the first time in their lives was amazing. And then we realized we needed to take it further. So we started work on the, our values, our goals, and setting up networks which it never occurred to us would go beyond England there's 34 networks a couple of them paused at the moment while the teams reorganize themselves but those 34 networks cover Canada all of the UK um, about 10 in Europe over to Asia and Australia and you never imagined that it would get that big when you first started out we didn't ever think it would go off twitter all we wanted to yeah. do was with give women a voice on twitter that was it that was what we started for and why there's a microphone in our logo <laughs> so it yeah it's been a wonderful journey you talk about twitter and for all its flaws social media has 
actually it sounds like that's been instrumental in setting up women ed and disrupting the status quo so if any women are listening listening and we know there are lots out there who aren't on social media and they're hesitant to do so what advice would you give them to encourage them to use social media as a tool to network and bring other women together well i understand that there is some horrible stuff on all of social media but to be honest we don't see that anymore because the community has grown so large it's all we can do to keep up with simply posting reading posting retweeting what is there so if people want to engage in the online conversations which are so important i would say join twitter join linkedin particularly those two but don't bother with any other <laughs> um, any other don't bother following anything else unless it takes your fancy just engage in the conversation with women ed and that's that is powerful it's exciting it's funny so funny sometimes and it's all about elevating and supporting women in education and everybody that's involved takes so much for themselves and so many ways to help other women oh. i've experienced that myself i know that through linkedin and twitter whenever you reach out to a women ed member whether that's through tagging them or referencing them you'll always get an acknowledgement a reply a like so it is a really supportive community and i hope that more women do take up social media because I do think it's a powerful tool if it's used in the right way. Well, yes, because we, we've got 47,000 followers on Twitter and it, that's slowed down since Twitter sh made some of the shifts. But then we also moved to LinkedIn where we've got 4,000 followers on there, some of which are the same people, yes. but they engage in very different ways. So it gives choice as well mm -hmm. like that. But it also connects us globally so it's wonderful to hear how what's happening to women in other parts of the world in education many things very similar but other things of course dictated or influenced by the culture of the mm -hmm. country or the region and we all learn from each other then so i guess women listeners who are in education who might not have heard of women ed before but have probably picked up what it is based on our conversation so far can you just give a, a brief synopsis of exactly what women ed what your mission is as an organization well our, our absolute mission is to give women the opportunity to become leaders in education if that's their choice we're not going to make them be a leader but if they're interested in that and want to move forward in a leadership role what women ed tries to do is first of all support and encourage women with that ambition but also to work on removing the barriers that are still sadly in place for women to become leaders in education and many of those barriers are the same barriers faced by women in all sectors but some of them are very specific to education. So those are our campaigns that we work on to improve the possibilities and the options for women to become leaders 
in education. Women are 75% of the global workforce in education. And that percentage holds fast mostly all across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, but we're nowhere near that same proportion of the leadership of education. And that especially holds true when it's the highest levels of leadership. So CEOs in England, head teachers or executive head teachers in other countries. You talked about barriers there, Vivian. Could you give me a specific example of a barrier that's stopping women leaders from advancing in education and then an example of what women ed do to sort of overcome those barriers in collaboration with those women? Well, if you just take the recruitment process, that's a massive barrier to women in education. All of the evidence shows that women have been conditioned to feel they have to be perfect in so many ways. So if they're looking at an application and there are some things they think they can't do on it, it puts them off applying. And the wording of a lot of the adverts put them off also. I contributed to an article for the Guardian newspaper on job adverts putting women off. And all I had to do was look for 20 minutes on a web and on a job site website to look at and analyze the language to understand why it would put me off, never mind any other women, because I didn't want to be a leader in the way it was being described full of drive and full of going beyond the possibilities and clearly suggesting that the number of hours that were needed to do the job would also put very many women off, especially parents. And then if women get through that and they do apply, I'd like to say unconscious bias, but I don't believe in that phrase anymore or, or that that issue i think it's inherent bias mm. um that people may not know that they are being biased but they are being utterly biased and so women don't make it through to interviews according to the proportion of their representation in the workforce and even when they do get through to interviews um the bias kicks in again uh, in in our first book one woman got down to the last two of a headship interview and didn't get it. When she asked for feedback, she was told that the governors didn't think that the mining community um, would have a woman, so they really needed a man. Oh, it's shocking. You know, and that's not in the realms of history. That That's a woman working in education yeah. now. And we still get women asked questions about whether they're going to have children at interviews, which is wholly illegal. And then even if they get the job, they don't have as many opportunities for professional development or for moving forward in their roles. And for many, it's because flexible working is denied to them. I don't know if that's short enough because I could keep going. So I haven't got near the gender pay gap yet. <laughs> what we're doing about it is unpicking all of those processes all the way through and giving people both the big picture about the issues so they can at least recognize them and decide their own response to that 
but also simple, quick, easy ways that you can change for yourself and that you can change for your organization. So for example, with the gender pay gap, as part of that recruitment process, most education organizations still have a question asking for the current salary. There is absolutely no reason to have that on an application form. It's got nothing to do with the criteria. It does not say in the list of criteria, we're looking for the cheapest person. Mm -hmm. It's there because pay used to be portable. So if you were on M3 in one school and you moved to another, they had to pay you M3. But that hasn't ever happened in my lifetime. So what's it still doing on an application form? So we tell women not to fill it in. And that stresses them sometimes because we're all good girls, aren't we? We've all been brought up to be good girls and they can't face not filling it in, but don't fill it in. And if you get asked an interview why you didn't fill it in, we say, well, it bakes in the gender pay gap and I know you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Also, if you get offered the job and you want the job, say, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to working with you subject to salary. So that you are telling the school that you want a conversation about what your salary will be. You're not just going to automatically accept the salary they're going to suggest to you. And both of those are simple, easy things to do. They might not feel easy inside, mm. but they are. And it just takes practice and confidence and knowing that the whole women ed community is behind you with all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost a mixture, isn't it, of mentoring and coaching women and, and sharing facts and um, strategies with them for, for the recruitment yes. process. And I, I wonder, Vivian, based on your experience with all the women who I know you've supported on a voluntary basis largely, have to what extent do these women get pushed back? which then, I guess, knocks their confidence again and makes them think that they're doing something wrong? Oh, a, a lot. I was supporting a woman recently who was on a seconded post to the, her own senior leadership team, as were two others. So there were three of them doing those roles and there was one job coming up that was a full-time role within the senior leadership team. And she'd been told by her line manager that she was a shoo-in for it, that she was, which sh shouldn't have been said to her, mm -hmm. but she'd been told that. But she lacked confidence, so I tried to support her with the interview. And I'm pretty good at that. You know, I am I am very clear on how to help women build their confidence and share their strengths and skills. But... Although there was only one job, the two men got a job each and she didn't. And for that, that just is unbelievable because on paper she was brilliant, but something 
had gone wrong either in the way the school was approaching it the leaders of the mm -hmm. school were approaching it or the governors or something and she was not then able to share how brilliant she is and if there's one thing i would say to women is don't tell your story don't don't not an interview and not on your application form because the job of the application form is to get the interview and the job of the interview is to decide whether you want to work there so when you say story what do you mean by story just be very clear on your strength your skills the examples of how you've demonstrated those skills the impact you've had and the evidence of that mm -hmm. and what you will do for the new school don't tell the story of your first leadership role 10 years ago and think that's a good example because that takes up the time of the interview and there's only a certain number of questions they'll be asking mm -hmm. so you your job is to tell them why they want you not to think how am i going to make them think they want me mm. So just so, shift the mindset. Yeah. Don't mm. tell the story of your entire career or that lovely moment 15 years ago when. They're not interested in that. They want to know what are your skills, your strengths, your impact, and how are you going to make a difference for the new school? And focus on that. So this woman that you were telling us about who went for this position and it, it went to the boys, jobs for the boys, as we call it. This is a, a recurring story that I hear a lot, not mm -hmm. just in education, but in other public sectors and, and private sectors. So what do we do at that point, Vivian, to support women when they follow all the advice that we're giving them through the Women Ed Community mentoring and coaching, and they, they take it on board, and then they get pushed back and, and a knock like that? How do we support these women moving forward? Well, we support we support them by reinforcing the fact that these barriers that are there are not their fault. They're not about them. We are absolutely not trying to fix women. We have to fix the system in which women have to operate. So we have to really reinforce those messages, first of all. And then it's to help them make a decision about whether they want to stay in that school or they want to go and find another school that is more likely to cherish and appreciate their skills and their strength. It's a buyer's market at the moment in mm -hmm. education. That's not good, but it's we might as well use it as women to understand that it's not you that people are rejecting at all. What they are doing is reinforcing an existing system and you have to find somewhere that doesn't want to work that way and in women ed because of the size of the community we know schools that celebrate women and we celebrate them loudly and very clearly mm -hmm. we know schools that support flexible working we know schools that are led by women who are absolutely championing other women. So together as a community, we can 
pick that person back up again, help them understand it's a systemic issue and find cultures where that system isn't going to be working or has been broken down. It's not straightforward, it's not easy, but don't stay anywhere or don't work in a place that doesn't value what you can contribute. It's a hard enough job as it is mm. in education, isn't it? So if you're not being valued, there are plenty of schools out there will really value you and enable you to move forward. We hear those, these same things out of education. Yes, I'm still friends with a lot of all my school friends. So there's a big group of girls and we're all obviously out there in the job market in different sectors, all experiencing the same thread. And as you know, Vivian, I teach not just teachers through mm. the coaching apprenticeship. A lot of our women leaders are from different sectors who share the same stories. Um, and I guess what's interesting about women ed is you're not necessarily in the system as an organization. So you, you have this sort of power to disrupt and, and shake things up a little bit. And I wonder to what extent do you think a woman who is actually working in a system, whether that be a school or an organization, can they disrupt because it doesn't sometimes feel safe to do so? Yes, I appreciate the, the possible lack of safety, but I also think there's safety in numbers mm. so women will be the majority in the organization um, especially if you do remember of course that there are plenty of women in education who aren't teaching or leading or are leading in other ways so bring those women together talk them through the issues, ask them their stories. That's when women do need to tell their stories yeah. to other women, very definitely. And on our website in Women Ed, we've got so many strategies, both simple, quick ones and more long-term ones, and, and start saying, what is it in this organisation we want to raise awareness of and we want to do something about? And do that one thing because that's our 10% braver mantra. Mm -hmm. um, if you do one thing and it helps and it makes a difference and you haven't died as a result of doing it, then do another one thing and another one thing. So you don't have to be brave and disrupt the entire system. That's massive, that's hard, mm -hmm. but find one thing that will make a difference for the women in your organization. Women Ed partners with other organizations in helping them to do that. And we're particularly interested in helping trusts at the moment, if we can, because they have some of the largest gender pay gaps, for example. Yeah. So there's lots of ways we can work with women, but the women in organizations can work with for themselves and with themselves also and we're always happy to help a, a group of women if they want to test out something in their own organization mm -hmm. that's great to know and I'm, and I'm sure lots of women will reach out if there are women listening from 
different sectors and they're like I really like this idea of of women ed and I really want one for my sector what piece of advice would you give them to to set something up like women ed find some like-minded women and find some allies as well we have some supermen who are really strong really vocal allies for women ed and that encourages other men to realize that they do have a part to play and they're welcomed so find other like-minded women find out the data in your organization because that's what got women ed started we knew things weren't feeling good for women but then data came out about the proportion of representation and then even more shocking that there was a gender pay gap in education and we didn't know any of that even though we'd all sat and looked at the makeup of the senior leadership teams yeah. all our career we kind of just thought well this is the way it goes so find out the data in your organization and share that bring women together put that data in front of your own leaders in your sector and ask what's going on and ask for support in exploring it and making different ways forward and then find the ways to communicate with more women whatever are the ways that suit your sector or the women that are engaged within it because women are women are lurkers on lots of social media or slack or any other ways in which organizations can communicate and just bring women together get them to tell their stories because some of them are shocking and some of them are joyous and if you hear what other women are achieving it enables you to think that you can also yeah there's something quite special isn't there about women only spaces and what is it about women only spaces that creates that sort of magical special feeling that is really just quite empowering well first of all they're safe mm -hmm. And that psychological safety is important. Secondly, women are enabled to talk and speak. <laughs> and it's very likely they will not be interrupted. And they won't be shut down or they won't be argued with. There may be a strong conversation about something, but it won't move into arguments and it won't move into competitive disruption of what somebody else is trying to say in fact it's more collaborative it's more respectful people listen to each other people add and amplify something we're really really keen on in women ed you listen to somebody you don't repeat what they've just said you don't tell them how it how it works for you you add something to it and you amplify what they're saying rather than contradicting them or ignoring them and women women celebrate what the other women are doing and tell them that's amazing that's wonderful what can i do that would work in that way so it's a real conversation it's real collaboration and it's real community feeling, 
none of the other C's such as competition in that way. And yeah. that follows the stereotypes, I know, but it's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the very inspiring places to be. And on that note, Vivian, I wonder who, who inspires you? My sister. I will always say my sister. She's absolutely amazing. When, when Women Ed did a series of short blogs about who inspires you, who's your shero, I wrote a very short one about my, my sister. That wasn't long after I'd had cancer and she was my rock in that. She lives 300 miles away, but she was up and down the M1 <laughs> on a very regular basis. I had to go into hospital for a week because my blood, my white blood count was very low. So she got time off work and just sat in the hospital for a week with me, basically. Um, I, try, I couldn't eat or drink because of the side effects. So she ransacked every shop in the area to find things I would eat somehow. And she's always there for me. She's always supportive. She's got a wicked, wicked sense of humour. So she makes me laugh all of the time. And I couldn't be without her at all. And how do you think she's influenced your journey into women ed and what you've done for the community well that's bizarre because for a long time she kept saying well i don't know why women are such wimps in education <laughs> <laughs> she was in the private sector where things were tough in that way and i said they're not wimps it's not the women it's the system you're in the private sector which may be a little bit more understanding of some of the issues and why they need women, especially in the sector she was in. The system within education is what grinds women down. And she, now her daughter is a teacher. <laughs> She's kind of dreaming. <laughs> this is not good. And at sometimes she wants to take a machete to people in education because of the way that women are now treated. So she's totally on board now. She wasn't yeah. before. But yeah. She now. Yes. And, and I, I think if I'm allowed to say so, and I don't do this very often, but I think it was the fact that I got an OBE for women ed that made my sister realise, bloody hell, yeah. <laughs> this might actually be something important <laughs> that she's doing. <laughs> Um, oh, and, and she said to me, you know, for two girls from a, a house that we came from, for you to be successful in that way is is just, you know, makes her heart sing. So it that was just lovely. And it is isn't it interesting when her daughter started teaching, that was when she started to twig, because I think from my experience when I was teaching, it was my mum that I went to all the time with anecdote after anecdote. Mm -hmm. story. She knows the sector inside out because you you need that person because it's such a tough job, isn't mm -hmm. it? So. And interestingly for my niece, it wasn't until she moved nearer leadership roles that mm. it started to really kick in. Same. Mm -hmm. Interesting, mm. yes. Very. If you could change one thing for women in today's world in order for them to have better lives what would it be 
any women, not just women in education. Women in general, yeah. If I could change it, it would be that as they're growing up, we get rid of the gender stereotypes that that enhance what the system is set up there to do. So stop the pinkification. And by that, I've got nothing against pink itself as a colour, but stop all of the stereotypes that go around that with young girls. As we've researched in Women Ed, one of the key pieces of research that shocked me is that those stereotypes are fixed in young boys and girls by the time they're age six. So it's very, very hard to change that. So for parents, for teachers, for families of all girls, make sure that as a young girl, they understand that they can be whatever they want to be, mm -hmm. that they don't have to respond in the way that other people want them to around some of these stereotypes and that they can be fearless and that they can be kind and that they can be compassionate and that those are all wonderful, wonderful things to be and that they will make a difference to other people in the future. These stereotypes are damaging for boys as well. Absolutely. It's, I think it was in Bell Hooks, one of her books, she wrote about this damaging idea that it's only women who can be caring and nurturing. Yes. And it's, and it's a predisposition of, of being a female biologically, which is really damaging because, and then that inhibits boys from celebrating and, and demonstrating those skills in the workplace. Um, the way in which boys and girls are conditioned to think about themselves, I think is is dreadful. There's a wonderful book, I hope it's still in publication now, called The Gender Diary. Um, and it was written by two parents who thought it would be really good to start writing about how they were sure they were bringing up their daughter in a non-stereotypical way. And this, the struggle they had to do that with when everybody else was trying to make these, this girl follow the stereotypes, both the, the extended family, both at school, both in shops. And it's a fabulous diary of how they were, of what they had to do to counteract all of that all of that fixed view of what a boy and a girl should be and should grow up to be. And that's why we need to disrupt those stereotypes as much as possible. It's also why I love your title for the, the mm -hmm. podcast. Because even before you gave me the title for your podcast, Women Ed is writing their third book. The community is writing our third book. And it's all about our campaigns to disrupt the status quo. And we haven't got the whole title yet, but can you guess what the first two words are? Yes, I'm, I'm sure you shared this the other day. Is yeah. it women disrupting or, or disruptive women? Disruptive women. Yes. We just now need to think about what's the next, what's the, what's yeah. the quicker in the rest of the title. I love it. The synergies. So, so that is just great. We're all on the same page and we can make a real difference together.
definitely this is a new disruption in itself in in celebrating disruptive women because we've been conditioned not to be disruptive who wants to be a disruptive woman we don't want those kind of women and you don't want to be those kind of women so to be able to just put a different slant on this and say no we want you we celebrate you and we embrace you is really liberating I think and disruption can be small mm -hmm. like don't fill in the gender current mm -hmm. question yeah. and disruption can be massive of of a whole i'm not going to use the word army because it's the wrong image but a whole community of women determined to bring about change for mm -hmm. everybody um that that is powerful it's that momentum isn't it that you gain from the little things where you might just have one conversation and someone says oh i've I've heard you shouldn't write your pay on an application and then someone else does it and then you hear another story and you sort of gain momentum and it's quite um exciting isn't it absolutely and and that's why you know i would want organizations to celebrate with their own women when some of these changes are made so if an organization says we're removing the current salary question then i want them to announce that loudly yes. across the airways to their own people and to everybody else and give the reason why and say yeah. why it's important you to do it so that the disruption is positive and is celebrated and deferred i wonder if you are already in a position of power whether it's a head teacher or a senior leader what advice could you give to those women leaders to bring other women on board because we've got to remember that they might have had to have played the game in order to get into those positions mm -hmm. so is it safe for them to sort of break the status quo what can we do to support them i was speaking at a conference recently with with kezia featherstone also and we opened the conference um and it was for women leaders and it was a trust conference um and one of the trust women leaders told a wonderful story about how she had bought our first book 10 percent braver and after she'd read it she chose the section that made the biggest difference to her own thinking and she annotated it and she signed the book and she gave it to another woman and asked her to do the same and the book went right round the women in the organization and then they came together to talk together about what they'd chosen and why and the difference it made for them and then what difference they could make together and then she bought another book to do the same thing and so it's about bringing the women together sharing your stories sharing the data sharing the knowledge and the fact that there's communities out there in every sector that will help you and then decide what are we what's the difference we want to make that's the mantra i use personally in all the work i do both in women ed and when working with other school based or what's the difference i want to make and what will it look like when i've made it and be very clear on that and work towards that collaboratively and together and celebrate and laugh and share all of it all of the time. Thank you so much for sharing, Vivian. 
thank you for asking. I wonder whether could prompt you now to think of a woman leader you'd like to see in 10 Downing Street. Which woman leader would you love to see run for prime minister in the next election that you think, yes, she's an inspiration, she'd do a good job? Does it have to be a woman who would be enabled to be part of it or just any woman anyway? Well, any woman. Um, I would struggle to choose between Michelle Obama and Jacinta Ardern, but I'd go for Michelle Obama. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a ticket to one of her talks um, at the O2 um, when she was doing her global tour after her book. And, and she was everything I had hoped she would be from warm, engaging, funny, incisive, disruptive, very definitely about what she felt needed to change, clearly able to achieve what she wanted to do, and clearly furious about the state of the world. So I think a bit of fury does yeah. help, but I think she embodies everything powerful about women and everything glorious about women. It's maybe she's maybe a, a very obvious figure to pick, but we could do with somebody who would who would make us feel good, who would make us feel that we she's there for us, not for herself. I'm trying to not get too political as we move forward in what I'm saying, but she's there to do good for other people. Yeah. And she finds the ways to achieve that by working with other people and bringing out their strengths and their abilities. And any woman that can do that is who I'd like to see. I'd like to see a much more diverse group of people in Parliament because we get better ideas the wider the experience and the background. And I think somebody like Michelle Obama brings all of that to the table. I was like, I, I bet she's going to pick Jacinda Ardern because I know you're a fan of her, but it's a hard call, isn't it, between both yeah. of those? Yeah. I love some of the words of Jacinda Ardern where she just rewrote what a leader should be like. And, and that spoke to so many women in the world because that is how they want to lead. Yeah. And, and I think if there's anything we could do to disrupt, it's to enable women to lead as women, not as pretend versions of men really yeah and i'd like more men to lead like women yes this is it she she stood down in such a dignified way and i so admired jacinda for going do you know what it's i'm done with this now and and that's okay rather than like you said in these recruitment applications they want blood sweat and tears don't they and the above and beyond phrase alludes to we want you until you are on your knees and burn yeah. out. But she recognised that if she went on, that perhaps would happen. And and who wants that? That's strength. That's mm -hmm. not weakness. Mm -hmm. So it's changing all those leadership perceptions, turning them round and saying, good leaders lead people. And what does it take to do that? Absolutely being a head teacher, haven't you, Vivian? I guess it's quite similar to being a head teacher in that there's only so long you can go as a head teacher because of the intensity of that role before you have to go time out, hand over to someone else, would you not say? 
yeah, that's that's exactly what I did. I did five and a half years as a head teacher, and I had a particular experience with a parent that made me say to the governor, to the chair of governors, you can either let me go for a year or you can let me go for life because I am going to murder a parent any minute. And what that made me realise was that I felt I'd done all I could yeah. with the, the, the school there and with the team. We'd done a brilliant job over that period of time, but I didn't think I could take it to the next level. Or if I did, I would have to murder somebody on the way, as it were. And I was quite a young head teacher. And then I'd started to think, I'm not sure I can do this for another 18 years. Because it was the first time I'd realised that you can't change jobs in a school when you're ahead. In all the other schools I'd had, even if I'd stayed quite a long time at a school, I'd changed roles and jobs and I needed that. Well, you can't swap that as a head teacher, mm -hmm. really. So I I needed a different challenge and I, I moved to work with the university then. I'd worked for local authorities, I'd worked for schools, I hadn't worked for the triumvirate of a university. And so, yes, I, th I think that's right. I admire heads who've stayed for a very long time and managed to keep the, the, their own sanity in that way, <laughs> um, but also keep the school moving forward and the community with you. I think that's amazing to be able to do that. But I think it's also good to share your own skills around in different ways as well. And if people want to get involved with women ed how do they do that well the, the the first thing i think is to look at the website which is womened.com so that you get a sense of what we're doing what we're about and how you can engage read the blogs because that really tells you what our community are thinking about and doing engage on social media i'd say particularly twitter we are at Women Ed. There's no S in Women Ed. It's just at Women Ed. And also on LinkedIn, we're Women Ed. Um, get a feel of the community. Join in. Read what we're saying. Read what we're sharing. Comment. Have a conversation. Read one of the books. We've got two books out. Working on a third. Can you tell by the haggard look on my face? You. Yasmin, you're the only one that can see it. Not at all. Manuscript deadline as soon as we come back after Christmas. So we're in the, the, the thick of it at the moment. Read the books, read the blogs. If you can get to an event, go to an event because that is the real flavour of women ed. And then decide whether you want to be part of the community or you want to get more involved. Amazing. And you won't be disappointed because I certainly haven't since I've engaged with the community. Thank you so much, Vivian, for being an amazing guest. Oh, thank you for inviting me and for you joining in the conversation. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. 
I'm always looking for disruptive women as guests. If you think you'd make a great guest or know anyone who would, then please email me with the details. You can email info at yasminarifcoaching.com. More details in today's show notes. Remember to show up and share your truth because the world is hungry for women who show up and tell the truth, unafraid and free, expanding to the very edges of who they were always meant to be. 